Perfect. All right. Here we go. Where are we? All right. I think we're good to go. I think we're on, mate. Like, uh, usually I introduce my guests, but I'm not introducing you. Forget that. If they don't know who you are, I'm not saying it, you know? <laughs> That's right. Don't, no, don't even play it. If they don't reckon, if they're dropping off now, we shouldn't really be playing yeah, it. At yeah, all. they shouldn't have been on in the first place. That's it. So, what's going on, mate? It's like 6 30 in the morning in Bali. I know. It's, like, look, I normally try and so occasionally I still wake up in the swimmer's hours, which is not ideal, but um, mm. it's the best time of the day. Isolation in Bali, so it's super quiet. Sun's about to pop up, and uh, yeah, so the kids are the kids are still asleep, so it's quiet, and I can enjoy company with a great friend like yourself, mate. So looking forward to the chat. Yeah, mate. Um... I mean, everybody knows who you are and what you've done, but I don't think people realize how great of a dad you are, man. Like you, you are an awesome dad. I'd want to be your kid, you know, like, <laughs> you do fun stuff with them all the time, man. Oh, no, look, I guess I'm fortunate in a sense, like initially there wasn't the, you know, the scenario I was after, but it, it, it's fortunate in a sense now that I have my kids, you know, 50-50 with my ex-wife, so we come week off so when i when i do get them for the week we just try and pack as much stuff in as possible we uh, do fun stuff and uh you know i think you know i i was told by my oldest a few times that i'm not a very fun dad so really? since wow. in the, yeah i know i know and so in the last you know couple of years i've tried to be more fun and less serious uh, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. for those for those dads out there you know because we're you know, I think in our nature, it's to provide and make sure that the kids are safe and secure and all that. But the, I think ultimately, kids just want to have fun, you know. So I've tried to dial up the fun and and do the serious stuff on the background so they don't realize it's all happening. Yeah. Do you, I mean, you're obviously influenced by your parents and you grew up, your parents are pretty serious, but they were very supportive and, and they did a mm. lot for you and gave you a lot of opportunities. What did you learn from them that you kind of take into being a dad now? Look, a lot because, you know, my parents are Polish migrants. We, we left Poland at a very early age. I was, uh, first we migrated to India for five years. My dad worked for the Polish consulate. I learned to swim there actually out of, you know, I end up swimming for Australia that's renowned for swimming and pools. And I, uh, I learned to swim in a country that's renowned for spin bowlers. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's sort of, uh, pretty ironic we went back to Poland and you know dad was always we were living in a in a communist kind of uh, regime and um, he knew that for us uh, and you know for us to have the best future was to was to move and and we went to Germany then Canada and eventually ended up in Australia the, the uh, two months after we landed in Australia the uh, the Berlin Wall fell down so the Soviet bloc was no longer but um, <laughs> Uh, so he just kind of mistimed that one, but look, I would, you know, so what I'd take from, from them is that they would do anything for, for us, for myself and my sister to have the best opportunities and, you know, not, they were, they were never pushed in terms of sport. I had that in, internal drive to, to achieve, but they were, they were the providers in terms of, you know, they gave me the opportunity to succeed. and. Even the day that I decided that I was going to move out of home and move out to the Institute of Sport in Canberra um, at the age of 16, you know, with tears in my mum's eyes, you know, she still gave me the blessing. So they were, they were those type of parents. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Well, like I said, I see stuff on Instagram. I talk to you regularly as well. Um, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm thankful for our relationship. You know, I've, I moved to America 15 years ago and it's, it's easy to lose track of people. And we've never mm. done that in that sense. You know, we've always had a great relationship. I think the first time I actually met you was, um, I think this, I don't know, it could have been earlier or later or whatever, but um, 1993, they had an opening of the Sydney Olympic pool and, um, yeah, and, they, and they invited people out. And, um, and that was the first time I really met you and, and got to know you back in 1993. How old were you in 93? 93. I would have been what, six, 16. So, oh yeah, 16. Yeah. So I was just, just would have moved to Canberra. Um, you know, obviously the opening, I remember that, um, yeah. I, I had a really good swim. Alex Popov went sub, sub 50 to just mm. to christen the, christen the pool, yeah, yeah. 49, two or something. And then, um, I was, uh, I think I swam 51, two. And at the time for me, that was, that was pretty, pretty good swim. And, uh, but yeah, that I'd remember that that made vividly because it was the yeah. first chance to swim in the Olympic pool. So yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. and that was the first time I really remember you and <laughs> from a young age, you were different, man. You were cut different. Like you were, you were driven, <laughs> man. Like you had this obsession. I mean, you obviously had a talent, uh, like a crazy talent at 16. You were doing things that most 16 year olds weren't doing, you know, but you had this also this drive, man. Where did that come from? Look, you know, I think initially as a kid, I was I was a, a chubby kid. I wasn't really, um, yeah, I wasn't great at anything. I would play tennis. I played basketball. I always swam, but I was never really sort of. I never excelled. And then, and then at one point, uh, you know, even when I moved to Australia, I was, you know, almost, you know, that's we call it initiation in in Australia or in the, in America as well. Some of the older guys in the squad put me through some really hard paces in terms of <laughs> making sure that I earned my stripes, and um, and I became one of those real annoying kids that would swim on behind those older kids and tapping them on their feet and making sure they kept up the pace, and um, and I would push the envelope. You know, I would I, I felt that um, even though maybe I wasn't physically that gifted, and I was kind of a master of all these different sports. Um, you know, my first success came around 14, 15 at the age championships in Australia. And I won seven gold medals in literally every, every event that I went into. And that was mm. kind of probably the defying moment where my age coach said, well, you can really devote yourself to, to the sport and make something of it. Um, so, yeah, I kind of, tennis fell away, basketball fell away. Um, and, and I guess, I don't know, I just had this, because swimming kind of grew up with me as I, change countries and languages that was the thing that I always used to fall back on um, and I was always identified as a swimming kid but um, it was more really once I got that sniff of the opportunity at probably 13 14 that's when I kind of really went for it mm, yeah and you know obviously a lot of people attribute uh, Alex and Gennady together Gennady Turetsky and Alex Popoff and, mm. and, and they, they moved together to australia was it was it in 93 that they moved like right after the 92 olympics yeah absolutely straight after and that's the, that's the time that i was you know tapped on the shoulder by gennady and and another coach jim fowley a canadian coach that had moved to to the as as well and they were identifying you know the squad for sydney already at that mm, time yeah. um and 
there was myself and and Todd Keese and Bill Kirby. Um, we were racing at a at a meet in Perth, and um, and they gave me the opportunity to to race and oh sorry to train with the greatest sprinters of all time. So um, I took it. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, like, if you look at the, the years that you trained with Gennady and Alex, I mean, obviously, it was a period of time where you were just a kid, right? And mm, you mm. were learning from Alex, and he was kind of the mentor. And then, yeah. I guess, you know, obviously, I mean, we can talk about the progression, but over time, it became, the relationship obviously changed, and you you yeah. end up breaking the world record in the 100 freestyle, and you you become the man. I mean, what, talk us through that kind of shift in that relationship with, with Alex and mm. how that evolved. Look, Alex was, you know, I mean, obviously he is an, an amazing athlete, interesting personality. Um, you know, I was sort of put into the squad where he there was Vladimir Pishnenko, Alex Popov. There was a couple other swimmers. Patrice Thomas was training with us at the, at the time as well. So another Olympic gold medalist, Nicole Livingston was was in that squad too, Matt Dunn. So mm -hmm. all these kind of older statesmen. And I was, um, you know, I was really, you know, pimply faced, no tan, gold chain, which is just the only thing I probably only had in, in common with, with Alex and, and Gennady that was the gold chain. But um, I think, you know, there was one defying moment because um, I sort of went over there as a, as a trial and to see if I could swim with these older swimmers. And we were doing... Uh, we're doing tumble turn drills in the shallow pool where you sort of, you obviously, the, the jump turns, right? Yeah. And I was, we were like, and I was trying to really impress Gennady to make sure that, uh, you know, that I get invited back after a few months. And I sort of went a little bit, I didn't tuck enough on one of the turns and, and I smashed my, both of my heels on the edge of the pool. And I had, I had stitches, like seven stitches on one heel and five on the other. Uh -huh. um, and I thought, okay, this is my, 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 my chance. <laughs> I've just blown my chance. And, uh, and apparently, um, Gennady observed how I sort of managed that situation and how quickly I got back in the pool. And, um, and then eventually, a few months down the track, he said, the reason why I invited you back is that how the how you manage that adversity, obviously yeah. under pressure. This was a big, big opportunity. We knew that you had talent, but how you manage that, you know, you obviously wanted to impress us. It was, it was, there was blood on pool deck. There was all these sort of things. And instead of panicking, I was pretty composed. And he said uh, that was kind of, that made up his mind that I, he wanted to coach me further. Wow, that's pretty cool. And so you start working with Gennady full time at what age? Because I was 16, 17, um, 17 was sort of pretty full on in the lead up because it initially was sort of Jim Fowley and Gennady were mm. sort of sharing, sharing some of the squads and, uh, but yeah, definitely 17 in the lead up to the, the Pampax in 97, uh, sorry, 95 and then, yeah. uh, and then obviously lead up to 96 Olympics and, um, I, you know, I wanted to swim like Alex and, you know, I, we were working on that high elbow recovery, high yeah. elbow catch and, yeah. you know, trying to develop my kick. But, um, you know, we, if, it was all about efficiency of stroke and things like that. I, I sort of, um, I mean, you know the story, but um, I, you know, went into the 96 Olympics ranked number one in the world in the 20 freestyle, failed to make the final and, um you know, and, and I thought like everything was going pretty well up to that point. I was, you know, one national titles at 17, 18, 
ranked number one in the world. I thought I was just going to go and pick up my gold medal and go home. I thought it was going to be pretty pretty straightforward. But um, again, missing the final, that, and that was the defining moment that changed my entire swimming career. I went from trying to swim like Alex to finally trying to swim like, like myself or mm. finding what, what it was that would make me a better swimmer. So having that athleticism that I had previously from tennis and basketball, applying that into my swimming and developing a stroke that was more dynamic and more athletic. And, um, you know, I'm 6'3", Alex was 6'8". I couldn't, didn't have that reach. It was obviously fundamentals of, you know, long stroke and catch and relaxation keeping all that but finding a stroke that was you know um that was mine so and then that mindset obviously watching alex winning the 50 and the 100 and that 96 and, the, and obviously your guest from a few couple of weeks ago with with gary um you know having those sort of the high pressure situations how well he could manage that and you know obviously you know when i literally pooed my pants and the blocks and the heat of the china freestyle yeah. i just didn't want to have that feeling ever again so mm. Um, nowadays, you, you see the swimmers have the opportunity to race a lot, whereas back back in the day when we swam, racing wasn't as common. We didn't get a chance to, but um, so we embarked on doing 150 starts in one calendar year and and logged every single one. I tried to get under 50 seconds every single time, and uh, yeah. and you know, and that was it was all about repetition and practicing, you know. And I developed that underwater kick, which you know, became my strength, the start, the underwater kick, the straight arm recovery and the dolphin kick into the wall. So um, I know I compressed that story, but I think the key is, you know, I I used that disappointment into innovation and then I sort of I identified what it took for me to become the best swimmer possible. And, you know, I was lucky enough to, the change is happening really quickly. So for those athletes listening out there, if you believe in what you're doing and if you know that it's designed for you and that's, I think, coaches nowadays design programs around athletes rather than around clubs or groups, I think if you believe in that, it's it's so powerful. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what I want to say. You did mention it, but, you know, the as a coach, I always wanted to have an impact on world swimming. I was like, what can I do to revolutionize it? You know? and I, I never got there. But, um, <laughs> you did. Come on, man. <laughs> I, did, I did okay. But listen, um, you, you were the first person to swim with a straight arm, and you've impacted the world of swimming. Everybody swims with a straight arm now, and I don't think anybody realizes where it originated. It certainly originated with you because everybody was being, like you said, everyone was being forced into this bent arm, high elbow catch, and um, – and I couldn't even do that myself. It just, like you said, like <laughs> these guys that were modeling these, these, these um, swims off were six foot six, six foot seven, six foot eight. You yeah. know, I'm six foot two on a good day. So I just couldn't swim the way Alex, <laughs> you know, I, I'd watch Alex and Gennady mm-hmm. be like, swim like him. I'm like, I can't. No, <laughs> no way. I, I, I really want to. 26, 26 strikes a lap. That's impossible. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm at 33 and that's the best I can get. <laughs> but, um, no, so you, so you create this straight um, so how did it originate and then how did it develop? So pretty much straight after 96, I had a really minimal sort of break. Um, had obviously the week of, week of uh, I wouldn't say celebration, but, um, <laughs> you know, had a week of, week of fun in, in Atlanta and then uh, flew through Europe and then went pretty much went straight into training. And one of our sprint drills that we do is dolphin kick freestyle and dolphin kick freestyle head up and then 
Um, then another one is straight arm freestyle and, uh, and then straight arm freestyle with head up. And then I was just mixing it up and, you know, we were actually training short course at the time and Gennady was, was timing me for 25s and, you know, I was pushing straight arm freestyle with, you know, sub 12 seconds and we thought there's something in that. It, it just, it, what happened, it just, I felt it just opened me up. Like it just, be, you know, I, I, I'd enable my body to just sort of have this more momentum and use the inertia mm. of, I guess, you know, the arm flow and, and things like that. So I, um, I think I was, you know, I was too controlled with the bend arm recovery and probably, you know, whereas that wasn't in my nature, you know, I think, as you know, it's very similar to you. I tried to go out as hard as possible as possible and yeah. trying to hold on. So yeah. I think that allowed me with, with the right relaxation, I could sort of um, maximize that stroke. So, um, yeah, so we just kept on refining that. And by the time even the world championships come, came around in 98 um, in January, but I was sort of swimming like that and towards the end of sort of well, to middle to the end of 97 as well. So, um, yeah, so it's basically a stroke that I think it, it helps you to get good rotation. Even with, with that inertia of, of throwing that straight arm forward, it helps you to get on top of that catch. And, you know, someone who did that really well as well, obviously Fred from Fred Busquet, the who you know, mm. but Eamon Sullivan was amazing at just grabbing, grabbing that mm. water really early. I mean, Florin does it so well these days. I mean, Ben, yeah. there's so many guys out there that, that are doing it much. They've been able to perfect it. Um, I think when the suits came on board as well, that even gave them an opportunity to be even more powerful with that yeah. straight arm recovery. So... Um, I think I was still a combination of that really high catch underwater with a straight arm recovery. Now you watch some of the guys that are almost, you know, very, very straight fingertips to the bottom of the pool straight away. So, um, yeah, it, it was really, it was came through trial. And that's another lesson, you know, for younger swimmers out there just to try things in training because you just never know. It might be you might revolutionize something or you mm. might invent a stroke that, mm. that could work for the rest of us better than anything yeah. else. Yeah. Well, it sounds like I it mean, just came from a drill. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It just came from a drill, you know, yeah. I mean, butterfly initially was, you know, breaststroke kick and butterfly arms. And yeah. over, over time they, they realized, well, that's, you know, that's not very efficient. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think it just, you know, I think all the drills that you, if you're doing out there with your coach, make sure you're, you know, think about it. I think when you're in the moment and you're, you know, like rather than, you know, being away with the fairies, trying to really sort of focus in, on those drills and, and think about how it's affecting your body. Yeah, well, there's a, there's a couple of things in there that interest me in terms of what you said. Uh, one of the things that a lot of people know Nathan Adrian for is kind of that um, he goes into a bit of a straight arm. I'm not sure. Does he go, does he go into dolphin kick as well or... Because uh, I know that's that's you started doing that. So like the last fifteen, you went into a dolphin kick and a very very mm. straight arm recovery. What, what was yeah. the, what was the idea behind that? <laughs> Look, that was probably more of a default. I never really kind of wanted to go. Into, it was again a drill that we did straight arm straight arm freestyle with dolphin kick. Uh, but um, my legs weren't really my strong suit. Dolphin kick was, but freestyle wasn't. And and I tried not to go into that because, um, you know, sometimes in that transition from dolphin kick to, sorry, from freestyle to dolphin kick, you can lose a little bit of momentum. But um, it was more about as soon as, you know, I felt my legs were dying and I was 
and then you know I was losing speed towards mm. the wall I would switch switch over into a dolphin kick that helped me to keep that momentum but um look it it worked really well on a couple of occasions um and not so well in others um obviously it worked really well in Sydney for me in the in, in the lead off but um yeah. that transition from freestyle to dolphin kick um, if you can make it seamless and, you know, probably further out is better rather than when you're slowing down more. Yeah, yeah. And so then uh, the other thing you said that interests me, and I, I remember this now, I didn't remember it earlier, but you did race a lot. There was this mindset of going to race. And like you said, you, you had this goal of 150 starts in a season. That's that's mm. impressive. And that's one of the things I remember from you. It was just like you were just backing up race to race to race. Mm. There wasn't anybody mm. doing that back, back 20, 25 no. years ago, you know? No. And look, we, we traveled everywhere, mate. We, obviously, as you know, like we did everything from the Lake Burley Griffith meet in Canberra to the Pampax in, in Fukuoka to the Marin Ostrom tour to the, all yeah. the, you know, the Santa, Santa Clara meets, everything that was on the calendar. I pretty yeah. much did, and yeah. and uh, and you know, got gave me a chance to practice. You know, I remember that one day in Man Ostrom, I think I swam 40 meters underwater one way, and and 20 meters underwater the other way, just to just to give yourself a chance to practice. But also that mindset of getting up on the blocks and not fearing what's about to happen. And a lot of the time, you know, what's holding us back is the fear of the unknown, and mm. it's like you're just going through the pro- and then basically uh, because i did it so often the process of getting ready for the race became so automatic i wouldn't even think about it it was just more if anything i had to distract myself just so you know yeah i wouldn't get over kind of stimulated and aroused so um yeah it was um and like again i had that memory of of feeling super nervous almost unprepared out of place and and be standing behind the blocks in 96 and that 200 freestyle heat and I never wanted to feel like that again. So, and we use, you know, there's no, as so many coaches say these days, and, and I agree, there's no better training than racing. So if I if I went and raced the Mara Nostrum Tour, I would do a long two, three K warm up. you know, obviously do a couple races, maybe do another long two, three K swim down. And there you, you're getting your volume from, mm. you know, from high intensity racing. Mm. Um, and then your aerobic stuff, you can work around that. So we managed to keep pretty high volume of, of, of miles with you, which the back then was, <laughs> you thought you had to do, but, um, you know, with just a lot of aerobic swimming, some great drills of high intensity racing. So, um, that was, it was a great way to train. Yeah. You did go through some periods where you were doing like hundred K weeks too, right? <laughs> So Gennady's idea was like to to develop efficiency of movement. I thought after about 50k a week, I was, <laughs> my efficiency wasn't very good. But um, it was like it's like going for a walk. Well, yeah. it's, it's not yeah. that's, that's a long say, but, walk. Um, <laughs> it's <like a> walk <laughs> you know? But um, look, there was you know there was times I think mentally uh, you know there was definitely reasoning behind doing those sort of sessions so we would give you an idea and if we did a 100k or 90k week where we did um three three two uh so we got three sessions one day three the next two on the third day we'd repeat it go three three and then probably one. Oh wow uh, so it would it, but instead of breaking up the session we would break up the day so the morning would be purely aerobic 
So we would do nothing, nothing that, you know, over 140 heart rate. And then the middle of the day would be your, um, your threshold set. So 140 to 160. So we would do either, you know, your 30, 100s or whatever, you know, we did a bunch of 10 fours or whatever it might be. Um, but sticking in that threshold zone for, you know, uh, nothing over 160. And then we'd come in the evening and it'd be mm. very much all about explosive and sprints and power. So we'd progress the day. Um, so, that, and, and it was, and it wasn't as taxing because if in every session you were doing threshold and sprints, your body would break down. But as the day progressed, we were able to, um, you know, to get some really good results towards, you know, that last session in the evening at 7 p.m. still swimming pretty quick times. Yeah. I'll yeah. I'll, look, I must say, I wouldn't want to, you know, was, we used to train up at uh, Cotton Tree in Maroochydaw in Queensland, for those of you in, in northern, northern Australia. And it was all about the climate, you know, being outdoors. The first session was, was super early. The sun comes up super early in Queensland. And um, it was, you know, the atmosphere was, was, was fantastic. So, I think the recovery was super important. So we do everything possible to recover to do to do those miles. Obviously nowadays, I think it's probably unnecessary. But um, you know, the, we we stuck to our plan. Yeah, and there there was a time where I remember you you were also a butterfly, and we, we haven't really touched on that too much. It was really <laughs> really what you were really good at too. But um, there was a time where you raced, I remember, and and you swam like eighty meters. They were trying to. It was like a false start. And t- talking through yeah. that one, uh, is that where you broke the world record for the first time? Yeah. So this, so this is obviously, as you said, like I was training purely for the twenty freestyle. Mm. Um, I had come from a you know. A pretty good background and I could swim 400 free, could swim a little bit of IM, um, Butterfly, of course. But um, we were training for the 200 freestyle. Butterfly was kind of like a subsidiary kind of thing that I would do occasionally. And um, so this is the trials, October of 97, um, the trials for the World Championships in Perth. And um, there was a full start in the 100 fly in lane eight. And um, and back then the, uh, the false start rope was a manual rope and, um, mm. the official didn't kind of get to that false start rope in time. Um, so we sort of swam through that, um, the same official that didn't get to the 15 meter rope didn't get there in time to the, <laughs> to the, uh, to the, to the other 15 meter rope. So we turned it on the way back. Um, they only stopped us after 65 meters. So, um, <laughs> and look that was probably a defining moment where you know that we had swimmers such as Jeff Hugel, Adam Pine, Scott Goodman so there were the top four butterflies and myself that were vowing for that spot in the 100 fly and obviously as we know Jeff Hugel went on to becoming a world record holder in the 50 and having great success in 100 butterfly internationally as well but um, we they basically gave us um, I did go on. I did go out on the world record pace uh, in in that first swim, and I always wish, you know, they didn't stop us on the way back. So yeah. I wish <laughs> I knew what time I did go. But um, uh, but then they, they literally said, oh, you know, give you, we'll give you 20 minutes to recover, and we'll do the race again. And it was yeah. almost like it was like a boxing bout, you know, it was sort of like to see everyone was in the same boat everyone had been put off um and it, it 
the drama just built, you know, where everyone was watching who, <laughs> how, who was swimming down and which way and who was, yeah, you know, so, but I knew that I had that 200 background behind me and I removed my lactic acid pretty quickly, got myself focused and Gennady and I knew that we'd, we'd probably overtrained as we spoke about earlier. <laughs> so um, that wasn't an issue. And, you know, tactically I was pretty confident and um, broke uh, Dennis Pankachov's world record by a few hundreds of a second. And, um, and yeah, that was a pretty, it took me 165 meters to break a hundred <laughs> butterfly world record. So, but anyway, <laughs> you got to do what you got to do, man. Well, after those hundred exactly. K weeks, you were ready for it. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, so was, many... you know, and, and... yeah, go for it. Go for it. No, I was going to say, you know, I think that was someone asked me in an interview the other day, who was one of my greatest rivals and, you know, Jeff Hugel sort of kept me on my toes my entire career. And mm. um, especially, uh, you know, from, from, you know, he, he qualified second in that event. And then after that, we were sort of at each other at, at every sort of major meet. So, yeah, um, yeah it, was, it was a pretty good battle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so much to talk about in your career and, and we can touch on everything. But I, I mean, obviously, Perth was incredible for you. What was it? How many gold medals did you win there? I won four out of seven. Four out of seven. Yeah, so four, seven, seven, seven medals and four yeah. gold. Wow, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So that was a crazy meet, but uh, I want to gloss over it, so we'll, we'll skip it. But it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. But like, so Sydney going in, I mean, obviously coming out of coming out of 98 world champs, you win all these gold medals and then sit, the pressure of Sydney's building, right? So like it's in your, yeah. it's in your home country and you're the, you're the superstar now. You're the, you're the guy that they've been grooming for seven years to be ready for this event. Yeah. And um, what was that pressure like in the build up to that, man? Look, it was, it was definitely, there was a lot of pressure. I mean, the, I think there was a lot of pressure from the team itself. We had an amazing team, you know, obviously you were on that team, man. So, uh, you know, the people were rubbing shoulders with, so, yeah. you know, with the likes of Ian Thorpe, Grant Hackett, Kieran Perkins, Susie O'Neill, mm. Patria Thomas, you know, like yeah, it was. Yeah. The list goes on and on. Liesl Jones's first team and, you know, so we had, we certainly had like, you know, it was an era in our, in our sport that was, that has, you know, had never happened really since the 50s and um, definitely not in the modern era. So, um, look, we all, as you know, like we in Australia, we all train separately and come together only a couple of weeks before. But so I, you know, Gennady was very adamant that we were, we, we spend a lot of time away from Australia in the lead up to the games and. You know, I trained in Hawaii quite a bit at the University of Hawaii, trained mm. in Europe, but out, did a lot of altitude training with, with Gennady as well. Um, so I think staying out of that, it, I wouldn't, it's not necessarily a distraction. It's just, you know, there's, there's a positive atmosphere and there's all these sort of things that are building. But, you know, we obviously had a plan and a course and you don't want that to burn that nervous energy that's, you know, you need every little ounce of. So... Um, even, yeah, so there's obviously times where we would just uh, have media bands and things like that. But there was just, you know, everyone wanted to be on the Olympic bandwagon from corporates to media to public to volunteers. So, uh, and, you know, you're, I'm sure you remember we had a camp up at uh, Pelican Waters again in Queensland where they opened it up to the public. They could come and watch us swim. And 
there's a couple of thousand people just come and watch us train, which is just phenomenal for swimming mm. back in that yeah. era. So, mm. uh, so yeah, look, there's, but with that, I must say, you know, like we're obviously very fortunate that, you know, we became household names and having the likes of Ian and Grant and, and Susie and Kieran on the team, it just elevated everybody else to a higher level. And I think yeah. that, um, you know, I'm forever grateful to, to have had that experience and to have learned from you and you, you know, you motivated us into, you know, obviously into that, that relay, which I'm sure you want to talk about later, but uh, you know, to having, having a really mixed team, but everyone sort of, there was no, there was no need for team values or codes of conduct or anything like that. It was almost like everyone was almost leaders within themselves. So it was, it was a pretty interesting time. Yeah, for sure, man. It was, it was, it was a incredible team to be on. I knew, I knew it was a kind of a once in a lifetime deal. Like it was just building, mm. you know, that, that whole momentum. Yeah. And, and how like did you, you said, find it? Like, how did you find the build? You were training in, obviously in Auburn and then, you know, like what yeah. was your, what was your, what was yeah. your sort of build up like? I was in America for three years and, and in the lead up kind of like 97 to 99, I was having a lot of success in America, but I knew in that time I was coming back to, to swim at trials and I was, I was bombing mm. bad. Like I was terrible. I'd, I'd come back, I'd, I won NCAAs in 97 and I was like the greatest sprinter in, in, you know, in America, so-called. And then mm. I come back and I swim at the trials in Australia and I finished six or something. I was just miserable. Yeah. Like I, I couldn't get it together. And so I did that for a few years and I wasn't making Australian team. So I had this disconnect with Australia. Like I was having this great yeah. success in America, but nothing back home in Australia. So it was like nobody knew me. And it was almost like people thought, well, I don't know what they thought, but it, was, it felt like they thought, well, you tra you're training hard over there, but then you're not you're not doing anything over here. So mm. does it matter, kind of thing. So I I just yeah. felt like I was the forgotten sprinter or swimmer, and Chris Feidler mm. was having a lot of success. You were having a lot of success, and like you said, there were there were some big names doing some great things. I didn't go to the '98 World, so I I just wasn't a name being talked about. But I'm like, so mm. so in '99, I, I made the decision. I was like, I've got to go home now. You know, 12 months out to to make this team and, and I've got to make this mm. team like this is do or die. Like I knew yeah, the build yeah. up in my country. I grew up in Sydney. So for me, it was my hometown, yeah. you know, yeah, so exactly. I knew this was a once in a lifetime. So I decided to come back and, and leave college early and, and just take a chance on making the Olympic team. So I, I thought, well, the only place I want to be is with the, the best sprinter in the country. Cause that's the guy I got to beat to make the team, or at least mm. that's my competition, you know, and, and Chris, Chris Fyler, yeah. Yeah, Chris yeah. was the guy in in the fifty and the hundred. I mean, he was he was one of the guys. Obviously, you were there. I didn't want to live in Canberra though, so I wasn't doing that. <laughs> we need it all the time. <laughs> so, so I decided to um, hook up with Chris Feidler and, and Brian Sutton, and uh, and that's what I did for twelve months. And I just I just said, this is it. This is my this is my yeah. Yeah, my goal is to make this team. I've got to get on this thing, no matter what. So I just yeah. put my life into it. All the experiences that I had from us, from America, training with, training with, um, you know, Dave Marsh and all the great athletes that we had. We had Bill Pilzik, and, and Pilzik was the yeah. one, that won, he won the 50 freestyle yeah. in 98. Um, so yeah. I had some yeah. great training partners too. So I, I knew what work was. I knew what I had to do, but I knew that coming home was the right decision. And, and then, yeah, and then being on that team, man, with you and and all those legends, um, 
it, it, uh, it was an incredible experience. You know, it was just yeah. something that so, so cool to be on that team. Oh, mate, I remember, uh, I know, you, I, know you, I only convinced you to shave your head again just a few months ago, <laughs> but that was, the, did. that was the first time you, you shaved your head for those trials in, yeah. in, in, in 2000. And, yeah. uh, mate, if, you know, like obviously I had high intensity behind the blocks, but if anyone had intensity, behind the block that was you and um, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't want to cross your path if you're uh, <laughs> in the wrestling area but um yeah I, I i love watching you those trials and then making the final and in, in athens and and swimming alongside you know the gary halls and those guys and i think you obviously qualified second and uh, that was a, that was an amazing achievement so but i later i want to ask i know this is supposed to be my podcast but i want to ask you <laughs> Just a chat, man. It's all good. Just a chat. I'm drinking I'm Corona here, so it's all good. I've run out of. I've run out of. It's a bit early for a Corona, so I'm just <laughs> having a shrimps. But ah, uh, <laughs> uh, no, mate. Fun. So yeah, so I guess the the big thing, obviously, was um, you know that relay in Sydney. Uh, the the Americans hadn't been beaten in the four by one, and that was kind of the goal uh, going in was to get a team together that could win that thing and. It didn't happen by chance. Actually, I got this. Uh, I'll show you this. I don't know if you can see my computer here, but that's that's a, that's a photo of you and Thorpey right there. But like, um, excited, excited much? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it didn't happen by chance. Obviously, you guys put a lot of time and energy into it. It's something that you had prepared for. And, um, but but just talk us through that and that whole experience with the four by one. Yeah, it's funny. Um, my son actually googled me the other day <laughs> i should have should have done this a long time ago but um uh, but uh no he's, you know he's we're we're watching the last dance at the moment obviously with with the, with the bulls but he was sort of mm. in the doing some research on on stuff and then uh he found this race from the olympic trials in in 2000 for the 100 free and oh, yeah. um and if uh, you know for the listeners out there that was the the race that i thought probably you know was chris filer's best best of 100 free he went 48 7 um he really threw down threw down the gauntlet for me and you know i went 48 5 1 um thorpey only quality came came in fifth or sixth Mm. uh but so we you know but we the depth to qualify for that 100 free um, was pretty pretty significant, um, but still not nowhere near the level that what the what the Americans are at. So, yeah. um, but we we felt that you know if I if I put together a good enough hundred free in the lead off, um, and you know I want to ask you a question because I remember we we decided that we had this responsibility to, as you know from. As a team, you know what it's like. It's all about creating momentum from day one to two and three and um, how important relays are. And, and you're the one that really kind of got us together and spoke to us about the importance of that and how you took that from the NC2A program and how, you know, I'm pretty, you know, probably now there's no real trade secrets, but back then there's almost was, you know. Mm. So um, I remember sitting around that we had a bunch of meetings where we were sitting around and you were, I guess, on part of that, we invited it in, into that group because, you know, your knowledge of, of how to race relays, how to do it under pressure and how to beat, <laughs> beat the Americans. So, unfortunately, to all the American listeners, um, <laughs> you know, you're almost a spy at the time. But, um, 
<laughs> yeah. What what was the thing that, you know, like, because we knew that the only way that we could have a chance was to try and get a bit of a, try and get a lead. And, and you know, with relays, you just got to stick to your plan and not to over race. But unfortunately, or fortunately for us, the Americans, um, you know, they, they just wanted to get back in front and start to dominate that relay. And, you know, our focus was get try and get ahead and back end every every leg. And yeah. if you watch the video, if you watch the video over again, we sort of tend to pull away in the last 15 meters of every sort of of, mm. of every kind of leg, except maybe for mine. But um, so it was that was that was a tactic. You know, when when the guys were fading from going out too hard, where that's when we were going to try and sort yeah. of hold on to our pace. And but. Um, can you, you know, I don't specifically remember what you said to us, but do you have a memory of bringing the team together? I remember we, we actually, the whole, the whole Australian swimming team was, was training. We had these two pools in Melbourne. Um, we pulled together all the chairs. There was a squad of six of us plus you, plus coaches. And we made a stand to like to, to show the entire swimming team that we are ready for this relay. Yeah. And, we're going to take this challenge on. And that was the day there was obviously the, the headlines of the guitars and all that sort of stuff came out. And, and, you know, that was pretty, um, you know, now on, on reflection, it was pretty, <laughs> you know, it was, it was, a, it was a great sort of um, scene was set for, for the race itself, but you were a, a very monumental part of that. Do you remember that at all? I don't remember what happened yesterday, to be quite honest, but no, I do. No, like you're, yeah, I mean, you have flashes of things, but I do, I do remember um, wanting to be part of that relay and not, not being good enough. Like I, I, I could swim one lap, I couldn't swim two, but I just, I was just, it wasn't a jealousy or an envy. It was just like, I just, I just really, I had this strong desire to be part of it in any way that I could. And I thought, well, I have, I have an asset because I've, I've swum in America. I've swum against these guys. So I know their strengths and weaknesses. And, and I've had a lot of success on relays at Auburn and, and, and winning national championships and, and doing things like that. So I felt like I had something that I could bring to the table, which made me feel good, mm. you know, and you guys mm. were willing and, and open uh, to, to listen. And I also felt like we had some superstar individuals and I don't know at the time if we had really figured out how to come together as a team. And I, and mm. I just wanted to just bring my advice to say, look, guys, um, if we kind of put some of our egos aside here and, and work together and just really start to believe in this thing a bit, you know, you guys can really win this, you know, and, and you guys were open to that. And I didn't have to do much. I didn't have a big part in it, but I certainly just kind of just laid some, some groundwork and some framework and you guys ran with it to be quite honest. And, um, and it was fun to watch you guys accept that. And, and part of, part of coaching, and I guess, you know, this is some early coaching for me, I guess, but part of coaching is you offer something to, to, the talent and the talent decides whether they want to accept that or not. And you guys were a hundred percent accepting and saying, yeah, like let's come together and win this thing. And, mm. and like you said, on paper, it, it probably didn't, uh, you weren't the favorites by any means. I mean, on paper they right. were, they were better and stronger and they never lost. And so, yeah, but <laughs> there's, so, there's so much that goes into it, but ultimately the performance that you put up front was, uh, was kind of the foundation, you know, uh, what was that like to lead off and break the world record? Man, it's like to this day, because I went down into the pool and 
in the morning I suited up and I did a push 50 and I think I split like 23 low or something on a push 50. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, I was like, and Gennady's like, you don't swim this morning. Just go home. Mm. Um, we're going to rest. We're going to rest you. And uh, so I was fresh. I was obviously had, had pace. And so I was, I was super fired up. Um, for me, it was all, you know, trying to contain that because, you know, I hadn't obviously raced. It was the first opportunity to get behind the blocks. It was a massive temporary stand that was erected. And, you know, it was rattling. You could hear it when, when Ian Thorpe won the 400 free. You know, the, the whole place it was just shaking because it yeah. wasn't a permanent structure. And mm. then obviously in front of your home crowd. So, um, but like like you said, you know, we, we sort of, the closer the race got, we, the more confidence we sort of got. And then yeah. I don't know where it came from because really, to be honest, you know, we had Chris Feidler who did have a great trial swim and, um, 48-7, uh, but it was his last meet he announced it prior to that. Ashley Callis was a rookie, only his second major ever meet. So yeah. um, that's a huge, huge stage to be going in. Um, and then uh, obviously Ian Thorpe had just won the 400 free about an hour earlier. A um, couple, couple of the boys that qualified us in a really good lane in the morning with, with Todd and Adam. Uh, you know, so we had this huge team of support and you know we we're right there like as you know the, 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 the all the teams are right on pool deck so um we had so much support from everybody but there was drama and there's always drama in these sort of events you know there's drama with with gary's you know pool robe in, in 2004 yeah. but for us the drama was the fact that ian thorpe had, had torn his second suit that it was you know we're in the marshing area waiting to be announced and every team has got all the four swimmers and mm. they're standing shoulder to shoulder and there's you know you're starting to in, impose yourself and then you know there is without wanting or trying to this that intimidation happens in that room and unfortunately there's only three of us so that you know we were, we were lacking a, a swimmer so i thought you you know at that point we were getting some feedback from the manager that he's on through a third suit <laughs> he'd only brought four to the he brought four to the pool, one for the four hundred, and he thought he'd need a couple of spares. So he's onto his third suit. He tears that one as well. So he's onto his last suit. Wow. Um, and where at that point they're starting to line all the teams up for for the for the march out, and um, and Ian's still not there. So we were like, but you know, and this and this is you know the older statesman and Chris Fired like got everyone pretty much or myself and Ash. You know, just composed, just focused. Um, Jan Talbot, Don Talbot's wife, was was the manager standing oh, next man. to me saying, he's coming, he's coming. <laughs> and as we start walking out, um, she says that he's on his way. So if you watch the footage, um, Ian is trailing the, the team um, by about 20 meters with just a towel around his neck and, yeah. and the suit. So um normally you know obviously the lead swimmer sits behind the blocks but um thorpe just sat there for about 15 minutes 10 minutes and just <laughs> just <laughs> he was sweating you know yeah, it was obviously yeah. that was so we you know like with and and we've had drama well, i want to touch on the drama we had in, in at the commonwealth games in melbourne <laughs> but uh <laughs> but uh, but so that was you know that's a great thing about sport that there is all these sort of trials and tribulations and and the script was kind of you know was written with 
you know, obviously with having great rivalry and great sportsmanship with the Americans and, and Gary. And then obviously for me, that was just, you know, it was the, the race to this day is my personal best time where, you know, I feel most things or nearly everything fell into, into place. I, yeah. you know, went out fast and easy, had a great, great underwater from both start and turn, controlled my stroke and finished into the wall. I, I didn't, I, I felt I didn't falter in any of those segments of my race. And I just wanted to, if, when I felt that I was, you know, in front next to Anthony, um, I thought I would just keep, kept driving me because obviously Anthony had great front end speed and, and I turned in 22.8. So for me, that was the fastest I've ever gone out. So, um, and yeah, I just kept on pushing. It just, it was one of those, you know, like I, I'm nowhere near the level of the Tiger Woodses and Michael Jordans, but when they talk about being in that zone and when those good races kind of feel fairly smooth, um, there was no, 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 no real glitches for me in that swim. So, um, yeah, and I kind of touched the wall and, and looked across at, at the great man, Alex Popov, who just gave me the old Russian nod. To say, <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah, son of a bitch. <laughs> son of bitch. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that was the start. And then obviously the rest is history, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Crazy, crazy race, man. If, if people haven't seen that one, they need to go back and watch that 4 by one from Sydney. That was, that was insane. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, but, you know, I did the other, the other thing, you know, sorry, Brett, I, you know, yeah. it obviously just proves that, um, you know, you've had, you've had, uh, a lot of the, you know, I'm the South African guys on, on your podcast already as well. And, um, it just proves that, you know, like just because the team hasn't been beaten or you may not be the best on paper. Um, I think we obviously, I don't think we started a trend, but we proved to others that, things are possible that may seem impossible so oh yeah absolutely yeah you gave belief to a lot of relays after that there's been some spectacular <laughs> olympic relays since then even the yeah. jason lezak <laughs> one the, the comeback from jason lezak i'm sure that play, played into i was wa- i was watching that last night again you know like and, and even even actually uh uh yeah there's been so many but Jason's swim it's just yeah it's just incredible <laughs> yeah crazy yeah some phenomenal four by ones I always I always think that's my favorite event at the at the Olympics that one it's just so it's so <laughs> cool there's always drama like you said in it but uh, you know we we were lucky we did we did live in an era where there was some phenomenal athletes and you know the first the first millionaire swimmer was Kieran Perkins mm. And, and I know that you've had a lot of success in business and you've been one of those people that's been able to go from um, being successful in the pool to successful in life as well. And that, that's happened through your parents and, and the way you were raised and some of the decisions you've made and even some of the management that you had along the way. But um, what, what did you learn from Kieran Perkins? Is that, is that the puppy? puppy. <laughs> he wants in. You know, uh, yeah. He wants in. Uh, with, with, with Kieran, you know, I was uh, fortunate enough to to obviously witness Kieran's um, '96 victory in in Atlanta, and um, and prior to that, some of his great swims as well. Um, my uh, look, he was so. For those of you that don't remember, in the lead up to '96, you know, Kieran was not swimming well. You know, he obviously won '92, dominated '94. 
Um, 95, Pampax, I actually don't remember how he's, I don't think he was swimming all that well. Mm. And then the trials, you know, he qualified, but he wasn't, you know, Daniel Kowalski was, was flying. And uh, Kieran, even, you know, like just was not the Kieran that we knew. And it's, you know, doubt started appearing. And, um, you know, obviously the whole thing about, you know, it's almost the, the same the same scenario as Ian Thorpe, you know, mm. like the expectations of the whole nation, the greatest swimmer that we'd ever had um, was looking like he was going to fail on, on the greatest, on the greatest stage. But um, one thing I remember, and this always will stick with me um, in 96, there was, he walked around, even though he was swimming really bad, you know, in training and, his technique was off. He kind of, you know, like, I don't mm. know if you remember, he wasn't always smooth, but when he sort of got that pace, he sort of looked semi-smooth. He had the little crawl going yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. And then, but it sort of, um, and he just couldn't get that stroke, but um, he walked around as if he was still the Olympic champion and the world record holder, no matter how bad he was training. So mm. I felt that even after he qualified in lane eight for that 1500, um, he, like, it was almost like, this kind of this persona took mm. over him and I almost like this, you know, it's like the same, like, like Alex Popov and, and the Van den Hoogen bands. It's almost like they had that, this, this self-belief we talked about before. And, and also, you know, that he, he knew that he had to dig into his, you know, muscle memory, emotional memory, all those sort of things. And, and then when the gun went for that 1500, he swam with the same stroke that he did in 92. And it's, it's almost like, and I hadn't seen it for over a year and a half. Mm, so mm. I think it's amazing you know, for me, the lesson that even if you're swimming shit in, in the lead up or in warm up or whatever, you can turn it around in 12 hours, eight hours, six hours. So, um, yeah. you know, from heat to final, there are so many great story of, stories of seeing swimmers, you know, just, you know, having that. And then, you know, it's that mental toughness. You know, he was... He was one of the toughest swimmers that I've obviously seen. And I think Ian was probably, you know, eclipsed that a little bit. But, um, you know, I, he was a true professional, probably not because he was in, in a, an event where he did so much training by himself. And, you know, it's probably so far ahead of the rest of the field. He was not necessarily regarded as always a team guy, but um, he was very, you know, articulate, edu educated and, um, very well measured, but he was, uh, so that's why I admired about him. He was, he made a lot of great decisions and yeah. obviously continued his studies, went into banking and, um, you know, and I think we might probably see him as an official role in Australian swimming at some point as well. So, um, I think, yeah, but for me, you know, he came over after that 1500, the medley relay was, was the event after that and gave everyone a big, big hug. And he was just, you know, and we were lucky to, Think, think gave us rubbed off on us. We we're lucky enough to get a bronze medal in that medley relay. But it was just to see him transform uh, like a champion would, and and he kind of just manufactured that victory. It's it's amazing. Yeah, I I remember that. I can I can relate to that. Seeing him, I wasn't there in '96, but I've seen times where he was off and he just walks around like. I'm still, I'm still the guy. Like I might, I might be off physically, but you ain't going to see it. You ain't going to see it in my uh, body language or in my mentality. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Awesome like that. Um, 
You're obviously very close with a couple of other legends of the sport, uh, Ian Thorpe and Grant yeah. Hackett, um, and, and yeah. Jeff Hugel. You mentioned Jeff, but you know what? What did yeah. you learn over the years with watching Thorpe and the way he handled himself? Oh man, he's he was. I, I think obviously, you know, I mean, Michael Phelps is the most decorated swimmer we've ever seen. I think um, uh, Ian from a from a talent point of view, he was probably the most talented I've ever seen because he was, um, and he was able to maximise that. You know, he had uh, he he never probably let it up how how knowledgeable he was about the sport and how knowledgeable he was about his body and yeah. um, and how you know he he trained with Doug Frost and then Tracy Menzies, but I think he he had that. Uh, I think he almost trained himself a lot of the mm. time. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I sort of, I, I remember that when there was one time where there was speculation of, you know, some drug taking in by one of the German press in, at, at a World Cup meet in, in uh, Berlin. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and it's like poking a bear. You just don't poke <laughs> the bear. Right? <laughs> so, um, you know, it's one of the, the most cleanest, hard-working athletes I've ever seen, you know, both Grant and Ian going head-to-head for many years in training. Um, you know, Ian came out and broke the world record that afternoon after the press conference. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Three. So, I, <laughs> yeah. so it's almost like, uh, yeah, I, I learned a lot. I, I mean, my, this is, and this is a bit of a, a light-hearted kind of memory. It's been pretty serious, but as world championships in 98, the, the, my, my roommates consisted of Ian Thorpe, Grant Hackett and Simon Cowley. Um, so, um, you know, and these guys, Ian was 15, Grant Hackett was 17 and Simon was just 18. So of 17 as well. And I was kind of the oldest statesman in, in, in that room at mm-hmm. 21. So, or 20. Um, you know, and these guys were winning gold medals for the, you know, becoming world champions, but they were more concerned about setting records on the PlayStation that afternoon when they got <laughs> home to the room than, than, uh, than, 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 than swimming for Australia. So, yeah. uh, it was, yeah, it was, for me, it was an, an amazing kind of experience to be part of that era swimming with, I trained with, I moved from Canberra to the Gold Coast to train with Grant Hackett and Dennis Cottrell be friends with him and you know I was definitely the fittest I ever was training under in that environment with, with those guys traveled to Colorado Springs with Ian a bunch of times just to be alongside the, the greatest athletes of our sport so they had a massive impact and um, I, I sort of tra- I trained with Jeff Hugel in the early days with at Redcliffe with Ken Ward but um, you know it, it you know when you're going head to head and there's a couple hundreds of a second every single time it it's uh it made it a little bit tricky towards the end of our career, but we're still, you know, um, actually Skippy, as we call him, was here for New Year's Eve. So we, we celebrated New Year's Eve together. So there's a bunch of other guys that we obviously stay in touch with from, you know, the, the boys in Perth, from Eamon to Todd and Bill. And, but um, I think, you know, and yourself, obviously, I think it's, it's funny how there was a period of separation after our sport. And, mm. and it's almost like we, we, as we get older, and I always pay my parents out about this but you become more nostalgic as you get older and you yeah. want to yeah. you know reconnect with reconnect with people so um yeah it's it's been it's always been a great and adam pine you know there's a bunch of guys that have 
you know, stayed very, very um, prominent in my life. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, we, we had some good good people around us, man, and good coaches too. There were some great coaches at the time. But, uh, you know, Hackey is one of the greatest swimmers in the history of the sport and he was so dominant for a mm. period of time what could what could you give us give us some kind of behind the scene insights into what made him um you know tick what made him so great like he you know he's he's a competitive man he's he didn't like to lose at anything yeah uh, and even training man like if he so you know i remember so when when i first used to i used to go to, to Miami, to the Gold Coast and train with, with, with Hackey occasionally just to get away from Canberra from the mm. freezing cold. Uh, and this is, this is in the lead up to even like before 96 um, and then after 96, Grant would have written down Kieran Perkins' splits for the world record on the fridge. And, and so every 50 was on that fridge. So... Um, so and that would get updated, you know, every time Kieran would break that world record, and then mm. he had his goal time. So Hanky ate a lot. He opened the fridge fridge door a lot of times. <laughs> so he looked at he lo- he looked at those times, and I remember, you know, s- sitting there next to Dennis when he did break the world record for the first time, and he almost hit that twenty eight point five every single time, feet on wall, like it was written on the fridge, and mm. it's um, he was. You know, he was so competitive. If he missed a if he missed a certain split in training, he'd throw the, his drink bottle to to the next bloody you know atmosphere. So the, he was he was competitive within himself, but he yeah. was also you know competitive. You know, and I think you know, I'm sure that you would you would appreciate you know watching both Grant and Ian race each other at some of those events in the 400 and. Um, you know, there was there was a great race in the 800 when when Ian went up to the 800 and 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 Grant came down to the 800 um, and had, watching those guys just annihilate world record in the 800 just you know spinning 52 in the last hundred was just yeah so I think it was you know to have those guys with this um, these amazing engines you know they were definitely physically they had they were you know Hockey had an, an amazing reach huge hands. His lungs were something like, you know, nine liters. Yeah. Um, so, so physically they were gifted, but they were able to, you know, their application was just, you know, phenomenal. So they, um, you know, they like to stick to a plan. Hacky didn't like to deviate too much, didn't travel too much, whereas Ian was different, you know. So it was, um, it was just, um, you know, I think as probably touches on what I spoke at, at the start of the the chat that you know you need to find what makes you tick and what makes you the best swimmer because you you know Thorpe had his own re- regiment and so did it, so the Grant and um, you know it was completely different. Yeah. All right, your turn, man. Ask me something. What do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so this is the greatest. This is um, I've got a few questions for you. So. This, <laughs> So can you can you elaborate? So I um my last my swan song was was actually I had two in, in Melbourne, but we qualified together in the 2006 Commonwealth Games. Yeah. And um your dream did come true that you uh-uh. did make the four by one freestyle relay. <laughs> it did. It did, <laughs> and, <once>. uh, <laughs> it did. But can you look again for for whatever reason? There's always drama with the Australians in the four by one freestyle relay, and we were again on the bus. 
and in the marshalling area with only three swimmers <laughs> and you weren't there you were not there can you can you elaborate to the listeners what actually happened <laughs> well were we rooming together at that commonwealth games yeah well, someone. It wasn't my fault. Well, I can't blame you because I was using someone's shampoo. So obviously, you don't have any hair, so I can't blame you. But someone's shampoo. I, I remember we had a nap. We felt good, and we're like, "All right, well, we'll set the alarm for a certain time." You know, four hours before the event. And, you know, um, I was so amped to represent Australia in the four by one for the first time. You know, and and it was going to be my last meet. So it was it was so much going on, but. So I jump in the shower and I'm washing my hair just because the shampoo, I saw like six different shampoos. I'll, I'll take this one. I grab one and then <laughs> I'm washing my hair and then all of a sudden I feel hot, like real hot. I'm like, you know, so I'm feeling the water and the water's the same, but the, but, but my body's starting to get really hot. So I turn the water off, I wipe down and I, and I just kind of look at myself and I'm just, I'm just red, like all over, like almost like a burn. I'm like, oh, this isn't good. So I come out to you and I'm like, mate, have a look at this what does this look like he's like and you were like oh shit mate you don't look good this is this isn't good mate and i'm like what is this i was just i was red all over i'm like crap what, are we, what do we do yeah the whole body was just like my face was blowing up red it was just there was obviously something going on and i couldn't figure out what the hell just happened because i just literally just washed my hair that's all i did um so you were like we got to take you to the clinic uh the med clinic down the down you know we're staying in a village it's the it's the commonwealth games village so they have a med clinic just down you know where we're staying and so we go down there and you know long story short they basically end up saying look you had an allergic reaction we're going to have to give you an adrenaline shot or you could go into some sort of uh, you know shock here so i was like well they're like but if we give you the adrenaline shot you're not going to be able to race tonight and I'm like, listen, man, you're not stopping me from racing tonight. I'm racing this four by one, whether I'm alive or dead. You know? And you, I can see the look on your face. You're just panicked and you're like, oh, this is over. Like, poor guy, he's come all this way, you know, years and years of waiting for this. And this is the end of it in a med clinic in Melbourne. And so, uh, because of you, yeah, someone, someone shampoo. I still don't know whose bloody shampoo it was. It must have been spiked. <laughs> So then I, uh, so, so they give me this adrenaline shot and it doesn't work. You know, nothing, nothing happens. They're like, we're going to have to give you another one. I'm like, Jesus, if I can't race on one, then I'm certainly not racing on two. They're like, give us the shot. I'm racing anyway. So they give me the other shot and they're like, look, I think, I think they agreed. Like, look, your heart rate is so high. It's, it's just at two, over 200 just resting. They're like, there's no way that you can warm up. You've got to sit here for the next 40 minutes and you're going to have to just go to the pool and put your suit on if we get permission. So they, you know, they did the whole thing where they, they called over and I just said, I'm racing no matter what. And, and you were like, all right, I'm going to the pool to warm up. So you, you were gone. I'm sitting there by myself just in this med clinic thinking, Jesus, this, it's not going to end like this. And uh, so as soon as they gave me the green light, I jumped on the bus, you know, the, obviously the second adrenaline shot had, had worked um, in terms of bringing the rash down and, uh, you, you, ran, you ran to the pool <laughs> yeah but the heart rate was uh you know sky high and uh they just said look you got to put your suit on and uh and just get it get behind the block and go but they said like look your heart could explode if you go out too hard because i had a tendency <laughs> to go out pretty hard you know but you like, went look, out you, actually you let the trials for the actual because i watched that as well the other day you yeah. went out in 22 
twenty to six, I think, yeah, yeah. on wall and yeah, the, the trials, trials went out like a madman. So, yeah. <laughs> That's how much I wanted to be on that relay. I was prepared to die just just swimming the race. Uh, um, you know, a couple of adrenaline shots in me later. That they were like, "Look, you can't warm up. You got to get on the block, but you got to take the first fifty up controlled. Otherwise, you're going to end up having a heart attack." So the whole time I'm racing for Australia for the first time, I'm thinking, "When's my heart going to explode?" <laughs> you know, it's going to pop any minute. But, uh, but actually, it, was, it stayed pretty controlled the whole way. And so I, at the end of the race, I was kind of pissed off at myself because I was like, damn, I could have pushed harder. Like, I, I felt like I had a little bit more <laughs> in me. Exactly. I don't think you went – I think you went out like a high 23, which is for you is very yeah. slow. So. Yeah, I went out super soft because all these doctors were telling me I was going to have a heart attack. And so I got in my head. and then, yeah. But I ended up coming home. I was split 49-something. But, um, you know, I felt like there was a little more in me. at the, But then we ended up winning the silver medal. And I was like, well, you know, it was a great experience for uh, my buddies, you know. So. Yeah, look, it was great to share that with you. We, yeah, it was sort of uh, – and go through the – the process, the drama, we'll always, oh, yeah. always drama, mate. <laughs> Jesus, but, yeah, always drama. But the other question I want to say, because obviously, I want to ask you is, um, obviously, you raced for Australia, you, you know, you, you raced and trained in America, um, then obviously coached, and now you're working with uh, with better and faster. I guess, what are the, I guess, you know, what were you able to take from being a competitive swimmer to coaching? What are the differences and what are the probably the, the things that made you a great coach? And, um, you know, I, I, I mean, I, you've, you've helped me a few times, so I kind of know what the answer might be. But um, what do you, what, what, oh, 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 sorry. Are you there? That was that was my alarm. I was waking up for the for the podcast, but I was early. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I was, yeah. Um, yeah. What what were the things that you were able to adapt from being an athlete to obviously being a successful coach? I guess the biggest thing that I saw from you guys, the thing that I learned from you know Michael Clem, Grant Hackett, you know the uh, the Ian Thorpe, um, you know the greats, the people that could could perform at the highest level. The thing that I got from you guys is just your confidence level. And, and I don't know if I ever had that in myself. And I don't know if I ever, I don't know if I ever had a coach that truly believed that I could be world champion because I don't know if I ever believed it. So, you know, the belief goes both ways in that sense. But, um, you know, like I'm, I'm six foot two. And when I look at Alex Popoff, who's my competitor at six foot eight, I mean, he, he just looks like a perfect specimen. So it's like, how, how do you yeah. beat that? You know, Gary Hall Jr. <laughs> is, is, a, is a beautiful man. You know, it's like, how do you, how do you beat these people? So I, I don't know if I ever truly believed. And so what I wanted to do as a coach is take that belief that you had in yourself and, and the belief that people had in you as well. Like, you know, Michael can do anything. Michael's a superhero. And, and, I, and I truly believe that too. And I looked, I looked at you like that too. And so as a coach, I wanted to have that belief in my athletes and I wanted to find a way. And, and I pushed my athletes. And sometimes there were athletes that could take it. And, and sometimes there were, there were ones that couldn't, you know. And so I, mm. I, didn't, I didn't have a perfect relationship with every athlete I've ever coached. There's no doubt about that. And, um, and, but, but the ones that have have bought into again kind of what i'm what i believe in and what i'm selling if they believe in me i give that same belief back and so what ends up happening yeah. in the end is that you have two people that truly believe in each other and truly think that they can do anything you know and that's what mm -hmm. i've tried to instill in my athletes and and it was challenging at times because i had i had kind of a situation that you had with gennady when he had alex and michael 
I had Fred Bousquet and Cesar Cielo at the same time. Mm. And mm. they were both uh, in training for the 2009 World Championships. And about four months out of the, the World Championships, I, had to see, I, I, could, I could see that they were working against each other and, and mm. in a kind mm. of a negative way. So I had to sit down with them collectively and just say, look, we can, we can work against each other right now. We're in the same training group and, and we can work against each other because one of you knows that, one of you knows that you're going to win in the end. And, and we can work against each other and we can kind of hurt each other. But if we actually yeah. work together and, and Fred tries to make Caesar better, I know this is a really hard yeah. concept to believe in, but if you, yeah. Fred, try and make Caesar better and Caesar truly wants to make you better, then ultimately both of you are going to be so good that the rest of the world won't be able to touch you. And, and I mm. really tried to hone in on that aspect of like, look, you're both brilliant. And I can't tell you, Caesar, yeah. that you're better than Fred. And Fred, I can't tell you that you're better than Caesar. You're both phenomenal. And you're both very gifted. But I can tell you this, if we work together, you're both going to separate yourselves. And that's, yeah. ended up, that's, what, that's what happened in the end. Fred and Caesar. Fred, uh, Caesar won and, and Fred, Fred yeah. got second. And, uh, yeah, and I remember that. That, that, was, that was an amazing, you know, that's obviously the suits are, Sits yeah. around the boys are flying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, and I, I just, I just had, I just had two great athletes that really believed in it, and that's what I've tried to instill in, in any athlete that I've had is like, look, if you buy into my system and and you buy into what we're what I believe in truly, and you, and you sell out. Mm. I had a, I had an athlete just recently by the name of Zach Apple, and Zach Zach came to us as a as a young kind of raw kid, you know, just just like a Bambi, like trying to figure out his. Mm his height and his length and just trying to figure out things. And, and he, and he just bought in from, from day one and, and became yeah. an, a no name to one of the best athletes in the world, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and now he's one of the favorites next year for a medal in, in the hundred free at the Olympics. You know, he's, he's gone 47 mid now, you know, and this is a kid mm -hmm. who nobody knew three or four years yeah. ago. Um, and, and he just bought into the system. So when you have those athletes, yeah. uh, and, and you truly, um, believe in them and they believe in you and, mm. and that's what I've tried to instill. And that's what I learned one, from you. One memory that, that I'll actually should touch on 2007, that was definitely my, uh, my last meet and I was sort of, uh, my body was breaking down. Um, Caesar was in, uh, you were coaching Caesar in Melbourne at, um, you know, yeah. at, at those world championships, mm. and um, you asked me to have a chat with Caesar about yeah. about exactly that, about believing uh, in yourself and taking the opportunity. Mm. And it might it might have not happened at that event, you know, but it obviously, you know, watching Caesar's career after that, um, it was for me it was a great honor to have to you know to get a chance to speak to to ultimately you know the fastest man on the planet. But you know, you were obviously it proves that you were trying to find ways of getting those athletes mm. to speak to people who might have just you know done, accomplished a few things but ultimately finding it within themselves to then yeah. become better yeah. um and then yeah so I'll, I'll 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 cherish that moment to be able to somehow you know i know he's he's an amazing yeah. athlete but to have been been part of that um i know you love predictions and yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and we we have a, we always have a bit of a banter um, on on text messages, but um, give me I don't, give me some of your predictions. Who are 
who's the dark horse in the hundred freestyle? Is it who we just spoke about, or in the in the lead up? The, obviously, now we've got an extra year in preparation. Is it going to work in Manadu's favour? Is it going to is it going to put him off? Is it you know how who do you think is a dresser that's just going to that's got it home and hose? What are, what are your thoughts on the hundred free? Well, the 100 free, yeah. Manager's not going to swim the 100 free, I don't think. I mean, it's the 100 free, sorry. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, the 50 for sure. The 100 free and then we'll do the 50. Yeah, Yeah. but in terms of the 100, look, you know, Dressel has created some separation in a sense because um, he's highly talented. I mean, he's so gifted. I went to that kid's house twice to recruit him and beg him to come and swim for me. And uh, (laughs) and, and it didn't happen. but, um, But I just knew back then, like the word on the street was like, like, this kid's good at anything. Like he could play basketball. He can dunk a basketball. He can run a hundred. I mean, he could, he's so talented athletically. And so what he's done in the past few years and and to give him credit and and even Greg Troy, he's it's, it's a non-conventional type of uh, sprint sprint regime that, that he's in. Um, I I wouldn't coach him the way Greg Troy coaches him, but he's having enormous success. And so the, the program Mm. is working for him and, and great. And so it's enabled mm. him to swim multiple events, but look, he's very, very talented. And what, and what he's doing to his credit is he's maximizing that talent. And that's what, that's what mm. you did. That's what people like Jeff Hugel were doing, you know, guys that had what, enormous what talent. What about Kyle? It's had about, yeah. what about, what are, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I don't Kyle? know him that well. All Kyle I know Chambers. is, all I know is he's phenomenal. Every time I have any interaction with him, I'm like, Oh wow, this, this kid's special. I just haven't seen a lot of him like around in, you know, I've mm, spent a lot mm. of time with Dressel. So, but, but like he won the Olympics at 18, right? Like he's already Olympic yeah. champion. So to say that he can't yeah. do it again is ridiculous. And actually I did give a yeah. prediction a few months back yeah. and I said, Kyle Chalmers is going to win again. You know, I really did. Yeah. I did yeah. say that now yeah. that doesn't, that, people thought that that took away from Dressel and it really doesn't. It, Dressel's phenomenal too. Mm. And it's one yeah. of those situations where really either guy could win it. I think they're, they're the two guys. Like, I don't think there's any other, other guys that can really, beat those two like the, those two are the, yeah. are the two that right now unless something crazy happens those two are the other people that are going to fight for that gold again and that yeah that race that they had at the world championships where it just came down to kind of that finish is like yeah. that's the way i see yeah. the olympics going too it's going to be a very similar I hope, race i hope so i hope so um what about the what about your event the 50 that we um well i was was started yeah. chatting about with you know with ben and and, and manadu and those guys yeah, I mean, there's multiple guys, again, that can win. And I think the 50 is one of those races where you have to be on on the day to be a contender. Um, but the, the guys that are uh, the, that are at the top right now, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, Manadu and Ben and, and Dressel and, um, you know, Bruno and uh, Christian, the Greek freak, uh, you know, he, he, got, he, got, he got second at the Worlds last year. So there, there's yeah, any number yeah. of guys that could be on, but you, you really, for a 50, you have, to, you have to be really feeling it that day. Those guys are very consistent. But ultimately, I think, uh, again, you know, in terms of what we've just seen, just in terms of what we've seen, if we just take what we've seen, Dressel's got the talent to drop under 20, 21 seconds, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, he definitely got the talent, and then and then Manadu's got the talent, and and yeah. Manadu's just such a big dude now. Like he's got the strength. He's super hungry. I know. I've talked to his coach, James Gibson. James is a phenomenal mm. coach. Um, so yeah. in my mind, unless somebody proves me wrong again, those two are the guys <laughs> that are going to fight out the gold medal. You know, Manadu yeah. and Dressel. Yeah. 
yeah. What did, what did, what were your thoughts on? I know you were, uh, you know, involved in the ISL. Um, you know, that was always a great spectacle for, you know, I think it's even for po- for past swimmers just to watch swimming in a different sort of on a different arena with a different kind of um, setup. Uh, you know, like just different parts of the world, and then obviously coming together on, in 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 Vegas for the finale. How did you? What what's your impression of that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible. I mean, it's uh, I was part of the ISL, but I don't know the the whole background. I was just kind of invited in, but in terms of the behind the scenes stuff that's going on, I'm just like anybody else. You know, like I don't know the behind the scenes. I just know that yeah, I was part of a team and. And it was great to be there and to see that to, to walk on a deck and just see all the best athletes in the world. Like there wasn't a bad swimmer on the pool deck, you know, like sometimes <laughs> you go to the world championships and you're like, yeah, you might, you probably shouldn't be here, you know, or how did you get here? Whatever it is, you know, but even the Olympics, you know, the Olympics is open to the whole world. That's great. You know, they invite the whole, but, but the ISL was, was really reserved for the best of the best. And so when you walked on that pool yeah. deck, you're like Olympic champion, world champion, world record holder, you know, NCHA. Yeah, like yeah. it was just like all these champions yeah. were like, man, this is phenomenal. So to have a truly professional setting and, and guys just getting up and racing and, and girls and, and, you know, the women were super impressive the way that they were yeah. attacking races. And so, yeah, I was just, I just, uh... I looked at it as a fan, you know. Yeah, I think it hopefully opens, you know, the the gate because, you know, with the, there was even through our World Cups and, you know, back in the day, it never really became a professional sport, you yeah, know, it never yeah. sort of, but this hopefully the, with the ISL sort of evolves and um, it gives fans and spectators and, you know, obviously through live streaming, you know, like you felt like you were there and you were involved and the packages put together. So I think it, you know, no one raced 100 or 150 times because it, there wasn't that opportunity. But now I think hopefully it'll it'll um, revolutionise the sport and we'll, one, get to see the, the cream of the crop more often. And um, it'll be interesting because there was always the rivalries, you know, between the big nations. But now it seems like more of a le- level playing field, which is great. And, uh, yeah, so I, I know Rob Woodhouse, my, my agent, he's been... been big behind the ISL but I think he always had this vision of making it um, for the fans which in the, back in Australia in the you know lead up to Sydney we were we were getting the best ratings on TV you know sold out sold out stands and I think that's what um, motivated him to get it done so yeah, yeah looking forward to it yeah I hope it can continue so, you know I want the mindset of swimmers to become more professional too we still don't have you know, a mindset of, of true professionalism yet, you know, like, I think like, if you look at the, if you look at the NBA or, you know, you look at, you know, NFL or whatever, whatever professional sport, AFL, you know, whatever it is where um, that's their job, you know, and they're employed mm. by a company or a group or a, or a team, you know, that's your employer, then, then it becomes more professional and, and we just don't have that mm. in swimming yet. You know, it's kind of a, still a bit of a mishmash of stuff. And, and, and so I hope mm. that swimmers can become professional in that sense too. Mm. You know, I, I've been asked this a lot in the last month. Um, what are your thoughts on the change? This is, this is great. This is, you can cut this podcast up in like four bits, man. You're going to have to. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do an A, A and B, Michael Clem, you know, it'll be good. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What are your thoughts on, obviously, with now with COVID-19, obviously the Olympics being moved to next year, 
I've been asked about how it's going to affect the athletes, how it's going to affect the, you know, the preparation, the performance ultimately. Um, what, how do you see it? I mean, I've got my opinion, but what's, what, what's, what's your point of view on it? Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I've developed a strong opinion. I just know that uh, it's certainly affecting us in a negative way right now. You know, um, there there are so many unknowns. That's the thing. Is like, uh, what what's what does the world look like once the world goes back to whatever normal is? You know, and is mm, the is mm. the new normal different than the old normal? So, you know, there yeah, are so yeah. many people being affected by this not just in an athletic sense but in a in a yeah. in a human humanistic sense right like people yeah. yeah people yeah people losing jobs um families are being torn apart i mean there might be even a, a situation where um you know people are turned into drugs and alcohol during this time like what what type of negative effects you know socially is this having on us as well and so it you know, once you start to think about that, it becomes much broader than just how does it affect us athletically. But in terms of the athletic sense, you know what it's like for a swimmer to be out of the water for an extended mm. period of time is is really bad and can have yeah, can have negative yeah. effects. And um, so, I, my hope is that like by by July or August, the world can can start to be normal again, and and we can start mm. to plan ahead again and. And and then hopefully they have a vaccine where we can kind of knock this out almost completely, you know, and control mm, it. Mm. Um, but right now there are just so many unknowns. It's hard for yeah. me to develop a yeah. true theory, you know. Yeah, I, I sort of felt like obviously it's it is it is very it's unfortunate that yeah. you know like it, it obviously there's been a postponement of the Olympics because you know some athletes they they time their run to the Olympics to mm. almost the exact day yeah so there are some that that you know there's some people that came back with the intention of racing in Tokyo like Brent Hayden for example mm, yeah. and, and even even Manadu so um you know the additional year of training you know will they break down will you know or there's some athletes that are probably injured now that might have enough time to get ready for next year so it is and the only I think Obviously, with taking outside the humanitarian um, impact, I think it's obviously in sport is that everyone's in the same boat. Yeah. So, and everyone has to, everyone has to, it's, it's who adapts the best and who's the most resourceful person. I saw, mm. I saw Kate Campbell doing 12 mm. chin ups with, you know, 20 kilos water, a keg of water yeah. between the legs, yeah. you know, yeah. like there's, there's guys that are being resourceful and, keeping up their strength and training in different ways. And um, so it'll be, it'll, it will be a true test to see who can, you know, who, who, who can be yeah. smarter in this, yeah. in this period. So, yeah. um, but, and, and then we might be surprised. I think hopefully we'll be surprised to see how fast these guys can actually swim. Yeah. Yeah. It might be a good thing. It might be, everyone might just heal up and you know what it's like after an, a taper. Sometimes you do a taper and then, you have a couple of weeks off and then you go to a meet and swim at best time. You're like, how, how did I do that? Yeah. Where'd that come from? So just the body <laughs> exactly. freshens up sometimes, you know, but yeah, it will be interesting, but there, there's certainly people that are taking care of business right now. You can see it online, you know, like Kate Campbell and, yeah. and people like that, that are just holding, holding, you know, they're not, they might not be progressing forward, but they're certainly not going backwards. You know, they're just saying mm. like, like I'm going to stay right here. I'm an athlete. This is where my mindset's going to stay. And, and that's a good thing. And so their transition back into this will be a lot smoother than somebody that's taken the other approach of letting this get the best yeah. of them, you know? So, yeah. Um, uh, look, I, I know there'll be a lot of Aussies listening to this, mate. So outside of 
you know, like what your, you know, you travel the world, you know, all the best swimmers, like what are some of, you know, I know Katie, I mean, well, obviously for us, um, you know, Ariana Titmus is, is mm. a, obviously yeah. a hope for next year against Katie, but, um, you know, what outside of that, what is, who are the swimmers that are not obviously maybe known to some of our Aussie swimmers that, um, wants to look out for? Anyway. Oh, that's a good question too. I mean, wow, I, I need to put some time and energy into that one. But um, <laughs> yeah. give me, give me, give me one, and so I can make sure I'll bet on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're taking bets. Okay, good. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the, I always enjoy the the US trials because you know there's always that that person of like where'd they come from you know but then there's you know the 100 freestyle right now in america it's stacked i think there's something like eight guys that have gone under 48 in in the 100 i mean it's just madness you know so it's like trying to predict who's going to be top four in that is like you got no chance you know you you could put dressel as maybe one but then then it's a (laughs) crapshoot for everybody else but it's just who turns up on the day but um there's there's certainly a lot of talent in the u.s right now and um and, and I think that the U.S. trials are going to be super interesting in, in terms of that. They're, they're always going to put together a great team. The, the question is, who's going to be the person that replaces, you know, Michael Phelps? You know, I don't, I don't know if you can ever replace him, but it's like, all right, where, where do they find those? Where do they find that leadership of those gold medals or that, that person that can just be kind of that automatic person to say, yeah, they're going to, they're going to win us those medals. That's going to be tougher. Like you said, I think yeah. the world, the world of swimming is, has got smaller. It shrunk. Like, you know what everybody's doing? Like I knew that Kate Campbell yeah. was doing pull-ups 10 minutes after she was doing them, you know, cause she's showing me. Yeah. So, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, everything, you know what everyone's doing and it's easy to stay motivated because you know what your competition's doing. Whereas back in the day, we didn't have a clue what anyone was doing. It's like, no. I don't know. They could be doing anything right now. So <laughs> Um, yeah, there was a lot yeah. more. There was a lot more fear and anxiety when you when you lined up next to someone because you just didn't know what they're up to. But now you kind of yeah, you get a pretty general idea. So the, the world has shrunk, and and I think the the chances for anybody in the world to swim fast are there now. You know, it's not just it's not just isolated to the Australias or the Americas or you know, like there are people from all over the world doing yeah. doing great programs. So in, yeah, in terms yeah. of um, in terms of uh you know somebody that's kind of just come from nowhere and and, ta- and taken on the world what's the what's the young girl's name the backstroker she's the world record holder now like she kind of came out of nowhere the the u.s girl um yeah. oh yeah that's right yeah she's been yeah. but then uh but then she's got the, the british girl that's broke the short course world record as well so then um I keep forgetting. Oh, <laughs> that's right. But, uh, yeah. And you guys had uh, a good so backstroker too. The the um, she swam for London Raw. What was her name? The Australian. Yeah, girl? the McEwen. Yeah, McEwen. Probably. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there's, she was, a, there's she a bunch. Was, yeah. I don't know. So, yeah. But look, yeah, probably a probably a tough question. Uh, when we start but, taking um, bets, we we'll start to take more. We'll do, we'll do more research when there's money involved. See, it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you you've probably done your research. You just don't want to give me your info. That's why. <laughs> Old enough. Hey, listen. How is this? Um, I mean, you're in the skincare business, and you've done really well and been successful. Um, how's mm. how's this affecting you guys? Look, it's it is affecting us in a sense that obviously people are shopping differently um everyone's shopping you know mainly shopping online there was that initial panic shop where you know people were well you know going crazy for toilet paper etc but um 
that sort of subsided and um, but people are obviously staying at home more so there's you know uh, online online and digital kind of strategy has changed a lot we've had to the word that everyone's using pivot or adapt and 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 put our energy and investing money into uh into different areas so um i'm very fortunate in the sense that i do still supply um majority of my business is going back into china so um and then the other half is probably domestic market in australia so um we've uh, we're, we're still supplying the alibabas of the world and then obviously the australian market which is had slowed down alibaba is now sort of definitely picking up so there's been a there's been an, an effect in a sense where there's delays in manufacturing and delays in uh obviously or just even shipping etc those sort of things but uh, and also just just watching the the, the traditional sort of media how people absorb it and how they're going to utilize it and how do you want to you need to get your brand out there and have a point of difference and you know it's not enough just to have a pretty instagram page you need to have um the x factor marketing campaign that that it's gonna you know you need it's, it's very competitive so um it's yeah so it's, it's it's a tricky time revenues are probably dropping for most people so um, it is, it's cutthroat, but it's, it's challenging, but it's also exciting. And, um, I'm pretty, uh, pretty excited to, I launched my brand in 2008, actually the week of the opening of the Beijing Olympics. And I think, uh, you know, if you can, if you can survive some of those really difficult times was 2008 was the GFC. I think it's, you know, you have to one, equip yourself, uh, and this is something I learned from swimming, equip yourself with knowledge. So. Um, about your own brand, but also the competitors. Mm. Um, I've I've tried to build a really good, solid team uh, of 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 people of people around me because it's sort of uh, it's like with anything, you know, you're on this course and people jump on and off, but um, you try and have that the the nucleus of your team to be to be the right uh, right group. And and this the thing I spoke about with my innovation with with stroke and the suits and racing i try and do the same with business you know if you if you keep doing the same thing over again you're going to get surpassed but all the you know other brands and and competitors so we constantly innovate and try and do things better than what we did last year or the or even last quarter so um so yeah it's definitely been affected and um and but people you know people are adaptable and 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 fairly resilient as long as you yeah, so that's kind of my role, trying to you know motivate the team to stay positive, and you know we've got some other great opportunities that, that once this passes, we can refocus and we'll be back to to our best. But um, actually, in saying that, why don't we um, you know for for all the listeners out there, um, why don't we if you go to my website, which is milkandco.com.au, mm-hmm. we'll get fifty percent off on all the all the all the milk and co and and clean products, which we do a swim wash which is anti-chlorine wash, which will be perfect for the swimmers once they get back in the pool. So um, I'll whack up a code, which will, let's make it pork swim. Pork <laughs> swim will be the 50% discount for, uh, for, a, uh, for a couple, or at least two or three months. So, uh, but yeah, I appreciate your support. And um, yeah, because yeah, it's obviously, and, and products that are, you know, we're in an industry where, you know, staying clean and, and, and hygiene super important. So we can hopefully assist you, but in, then have products like the swim wash, which will get you through the training once you've been back in the pool. Do you ship worldwide? Can they get this anywhere or is it? Absolutely. We, we ship worldwide. You can also buy it through Amazon, but 
um, yeah, but head to to redeem this, you know, the fifty percent discount. Head to uh, head to our website, which okay. I can make on yeah, yeah. on the uh, on the Instagram stories and the post later on. But uh, yeah, so uh, but um, that'd be good, and you know, hopefully uh, we try to. Some of the swimmers have tried it in the past, and I know you've tried some of it. Yeah. And, um, so it's uh, you know we've always been shaving our legs and our bodies and moisturizing and it's and it's not a coincidence that I kind of ended up in this skincare area you know so yeah. um, I'm trying to uh, I've learned on on the job so to speak and and we're still putting the pump but we're afloat after about 12 years so we're still yeah. going. Well, you're super successful. There's no, there's, it's not, it's not a coincidence, you know, like you're a, you're a successful man and, and, you know, like you said, you've taken a lot of what you've learned from swimming and applied it to business so successfully and so intelligently and you've got good people around you and that's, that's key to it, man. You know, so. Yeah. Thanks mate. That's like yourself, stuff. man. We enjoyed that. Uh, enjoyed the last clinic we had in July. Yeah. Fitter and faster. That was great with Gary Hall. So I look forward to uh, joining forces with, with you and, and and the team again so uh, that was really good yeah absolutely man well i appreciate your time i don't know how long this has been but it's been a little while so appreciate yeah, I'm the not time sure. like the, the, sun, the, the sun is up i'm sweating already so <laughs> you are too <laughs> look at you all right man we'll go get some breakfast in you all right we'll do it thanks for having me bud all right see you mate take care you soon. bye all right take care mate bye